0: Hear that? That's the sound of my just-got-a-payment-worth-three-months-of-payroll face, also known as my pay face. that happens when I can accept credit and debit cards, bank transfer, and mobile pay with Intuit QuickBooks. That's payments made easy. Wait, I thought this ad was over. Oh no, here comes my holding it a squeal in front of a customer face. And my, whoa, getting-paid-twice-as-fast face. Thanks for that, QuickBooks.
2: QuickBooks payments account subject to eligibility. Twice as fast based on customer use comparison from August
1: 2019 to July 2020. This is Miami's own DJ EFN, co-host of the Drink Champs podcast on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. Every week, Nori and I sit down with the most legendary artists, producers, and icons in the music industry and the culture at large. So if you like to hear some legendary stories, learn some hip-hop history, or just want to have a good laugh, make sure you go to subscribe to Drink Champs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts,
3: Obsession. In my decades of researching, collecting, and traveling, I've tracked down and documented dozens of obscure musicians whose work might otherwise have been lost. Blues pianists in dusty bar rooms outside Dallas, and old fiddlers in West Virginia coal mining towns. I've interviewed guitar pickers in Mississippi shacks, and country singers from Tennessee working the assembly lines up north in Detroit. I've listened to tall tales and long memories in kitchens and barns where the stories had been hidden only because no one had ever asked about them. Asking is my job. Yet, over and over in those stories, two shadowy figures kept reappearing, then slipping out of sight. They would turn up at some important moment, change the course of events in some way, then disappear before anyone could get any hard facts about them. These two mystery men traveled under many names, but they were most often called Bear and Banjo. There were no photos of them and no commercially released recordings, although a few tantalizing fragments and field recordings had been found here and there. Yet everyone who encountered them remembered them vividly and wondered what had happened to them. Each clue I found only made me want more information, made me more curious about where they'd come from and where they'd gone. Baron Banjo had become my obsession.
4: She me early, one morning, early one morning Just got up and away
3: One afternoon some years back, I was in my office at the university looking through some files when my secretary, Effie, brought in a small pink envelope and said, I think you have a secret admirer. She handed me the envelope, the front of which had only my name and the word personal handwritten on it. It smelled of rosewater. Effie told me that a woman had dropped it off. The woman seemed to be in a big hurry and had left immediately. I opened the envelope and found a single page inside. It contained only the words, I have something that might interest you, and a phone number, 601 area code, which made it local to Mississippi. It was signed Louise Gates. There was something oddly confident and compelling about the note, the pink paper, the hand delivery, the single line. I decided to call the number and see... Um, I just got your note.
0: Well, I pretty much figured that out.
3: Okay. If we're dispensing with formalities, please tell me what this is about. Why don't we do this? I have a record I think you should see. Why, why don't you come here, and I'll tell you the story. Ma'am, a, a lot of people call me about records. If you think I should see this record, call my secretary and make an appointment.
0: Listen, I'll, I'll repeat what I wrote in my note. I believe this will interest you. Come over tomorrow afternoon, around 2. or make it 2.30. I'm getting my hair done.
3: She gave me the address. Then before I could say anything else, she hung up. The next day, I headed out west on Route 8 towards Interstate 55. The address she gave me was in Hernando, just south of Memphis, in a very run-down part of town. I was used to rundown parts of town. That was usually where you found the interesting stuff. But from her voice, I expected something a little less beat up. The address led me to a small, surprisingly tidy cottage next to a rundown apartment building with broken windows. The whole street felt spooky. I don't carry a gun, but as I pulled in, I wished I did. All I was carrying that day was a portable voice recorder so that I could capture the story if it was worth capturing. I parked, stepped up to the front porch, and knocked. The door opened, and a woman stood looking straight at me, holding a cigarette and smiling slightly. She was white and appeared to be in her mid-fifties, although I later realized that she had to be much older. She was tall, with quick, bright eyes that seemed to be sizing me up. She invited me in, thanked me for making the trip, and we made small talk for a minute or two. The parlor was sparsely furnished, but neatly kept. We sat down at a small table on which she laid a large, square manila envelope. I pulled out my voice recorder and asked if she would mind my recording our conversation.
0: Go ahead. That's what you're here for. But Before we talk, I I want you to see something.
3: She indicated the envelope with a thrust of her chin. I picked it up, opened it, and slid out two square pieces of corrugated cardboard, between which was a 10-inch 78 RPM acetate recording disc, the kind they used for test pressings back in the 1950s. On it was a white paper label with the printed words, Memphis Recording Service, and below it the handwritten words, Gone But Not Forgotten. I looked at Louise, who was gazing at me.
0: Record is right over there. Go ahead.
3: It was an old tabletop model from the 1960s. I opened the lid, turned on the power, slid the disc carefully into the spindle and set the needle down into the pickup groove. As I listened, I felt the hair go up on the back of my neck. I had heard that voice before. Only a couple of times over the decades on private recordings, but it was not a voice I could forget. It was Bear himself. When the record was finished, I sat there stunned for a few seconds. Then I turned on my voice recorder and said, Maybe you better tell me about this.
0: I could tell by your expression you already know the most important part. Where do you want me to start?
3: Uh, How did you come into possession of this record?
0: It was a gift from the singer. Kind of a third-hand gift if you want to know the truth.
3: You knew him? You knew Bear?
0: Yes. And his sidekick, too. Banjo.
3: Please, um... Please tell me as much as you can remember. You're from Memphis?
0: Not originally. I was raised in Jackson. White glove stuff. We had servants. Belonged to the Country club, all that. My parents were very upwardly mobile. Snooty is the word. Guess today they'd call it white privilege. When I was a teenager, I started slipping off down to Fair Street and those little saloons. I was just crazy for music, blues mainly. It didn't sit well with the family, you could say. When I graduated high school, they shipped me off up north to Sarah Lawrence College in New York. They thought that would get me out of harm's way. It wasn't exactly a convent <laughs> Those were some fast girls up there Rich, maybe you call them liberated A lot wilder than I'd ever been It was like they were getting out of their system Before they settled down with some rich guy in Connecticut But I couldn't get it out of my system I was dating a musician in Harlem And I, I got in trouble I, I came back down home to get myself taken care of And I just never went back
2: It's crazy how much we have to pay for outdated, impersonal healthcare, and even crazier that we all just accept it. It's time to face facts. Healthcare is backwards. Luckily, there's Forward, a new approach to primary care that's surprisingly personal and refreshingly straightforward forward never makes you feel like just another patient backed by top rated doctors and the latest tech forward gives you access to personalized care whenever you need it using in-depth genetic analysis and real-time blood work forwards top rated doctors provide you with in-depth insights to better understand your genetics mental and physical health they then create custom easy to understand plans to help guide you to achieving long-term health with forward You get unlimited in-person visits with your doctor and access to care anytime via the Forward app, all for one flat monthly fee. It's time to stop accepting backwards health care and start moving your health forward. Visit GoForward.com today to learn more. That's GoForward.com. Get ready for a road trip unlike any other. On the podcast Haunted Road, join Amy Bruni, star of the hit TV show Ghost Hunters, for a guided tour of America's most haunted locations and hear from the expert paranormal investigators who've experienced these places firsthand. You'll be in the building all alone and you'll hear conversations down the hallways. It'll be more than one person. When you're in that building, it just really feels like something's just standing over your shoulder.
0: Hear true tales of chilling encounters. Then I saw a full-fledged shadow figure stand right in the doorway of the room and as soon as I pointed it out you actually saw the shadow run and discover the dark secrets
2: of our country's most active paranormal sites
3: everywhere on this planet where something horrible has happened it leaves that negative imprint this place had an atom bomb of negative energy dropped on it
2: listen to Haunted Road with Amy Bruni on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
3: was was that bear
0: In New York? Oh, no, no. No, indeed. Uh, let me tell the story. I, after I came back down here, I knew I couldn't stay in Jackson. The prospects of me getting married to some country club yo-yo were approximately zero for every reason you could imagine. So I, I moved to Memphis. I could type, and I was a quick study, and I got work as a secretary at a law firm, just like the one John Grisham wrote about. But at night... I will go down to Beale Street. Would you like a drink or anything? Oh, no, thank you. You mind if I have one?
3: No, of course
0: not. I knew Beale Street was supposed to be dangerous, but I didn't care. Rough and tumble places, loud music and drinks. Memphis was wild and wide open back then. It wasn't that long after the war, late 1952, and it was like things had shaken loose. Everything was all mixed up together black and white, city folks, country folks, and it's a river town, and river towns are always that way to begin with, just like in Mark Twain. Anyway, one night I went down to the Rum Boogie Club because Howlin' Wolf was playing there, and I loved everything about him. He had a cute little guitar player I sort of like named Hubert. I sat down at a table after a few minutes, and I noticed a fellow a couple of tables away staring at me. That wasn't A novelty for me, can't tell now, but I was worth looking at back then. This fellow was not what you call conventionally handsome, but there was something magnetic about him. I don't know how to put it. Like, there was a question behind his eyes, and he he wanted to see if you knew the answer. He was a big fellow with skin the color of milk chocolate. I tried to ignore him and focus on Wolf, but I could feel the side of my face getting hot with this guy staring at me. I thought I might get a sunburn. Finally, Wolf took a break, and this guy was still staring at me, so I thought I'd see how steady he was on his feet. I walked over to his table, and he didn't change his expression, just kept looking at me. Well, I said, you look like you got something in a cage. Either let it out or stare at somebody else. He had a short little white guy sitting next to him who laughed at this. But this big guy just kept looking real deep in my eyes. And he said, I'm trying to figure out why you're here. His voice was soft but strong. Do you know why you're here?
3: Did that feel like a threatening question?
0: No, oh, no, no. But it was a very direct question of, of, of a type I wasn't used to usually when you hang out with musicians it's all jiving and joking and baby let me get you another drink but in so-called polite society like where i grew up it sounded different but it was the same small talk avoiding the point saying one thing while you were thinking something else
3: and how did you answer
0: i said i i came here to hear howling wolf that was an easy one do you know why you're here and when I said that he smiled for the first time and he said I must have come to meet you. And I felt something like like a door sliding open inside of me. He looked as simple and pleased as a little boy and as serious and knowing as a natural man. And we were just locked into each other's eyes and I I heard his little friend say, "Uh-oh, the big fellow
3: Just just to make sure. That was Bear, wasn't
0: it? He had a lot of names he went by, but yeah, Bear was one of them. And he he called the little guy Banjo. I'm sorry, go on. Anyway, they they invited me to sit down and he said he was a songwriter and a singer. His friend played some banjo. Played some guitar, drove him around like a, a combination manager and gopher. They had traveled all over this country and... They'd been in Memphis for about six months, and he said they had gotten jobs at the recording studio where Wolf made records, and he and Wolf had become friends. And just as he was telling me this, Wolf walked up to our table. Had you met him before? No, I, I had seen him, but I had, hadn't talked to him. Wolf was a large man in every sense. When he approached, it was like the weather changed, like there was suddenly a mountain or an ocean next to you. He didn't look at Bear, just right at me. And he said, hello, darling. How you feeling this evening? He looked right deep into my eyes, that voice. Half an hour earlier, I would have been ready to follow him anywhere. But now I noticed something go back and forth between him and Bear, almost invisible. And Wolf said, oh, I see, it's like that. That's good. His whole tone changed. He asked me if there was anything I'd like him to sing, and I had his record of moaning at midnight, so I said that. And he said, Have you heard him sing yet? Meaning Bear. I, I said I hadn't had a chance. I just met him, and he said, Boy can sing. He wants me to give him lessons, but he don't need teaching. Then he walked off toward the stage.
3: Uh, what did Bear say? What was his reaction?
0: He just looked kind of shy, maybe even a little embarrassed. Should I go on? Oh, please. I'm sure you know that song, Moaning at Midnight. It, it, it's a spooky song. It starts with him just kind of crooning nowhere, just this kind of moan. It's a song about feeling trapped, cornered, and lost all at the same time. Somewhere in there while Wolf was singing, I felt a hand on mine, Across the table, Bear's hand. It wasn't an intrusion, it was warm and expressive, like, like he was saying he was right there with me. And that we weren't so trapped, and we weren't so lost, and that was it. After that, we were a couple, just like that.
3: Louise had stopped talking and seemed lost in thought. She poured herself another drink. I had a hundred questions. This was the closest I had ever come to some kind of image of Baird, not as a mythic figure or a legend, but as a living, breathing man. I waited for her to go on, but finally I had to ask her about the recording she had played for me of his song.
0: Yes, the the record. I assume you know all about Sam Phillips.
3: (laughs) I'd like to know what you remember.
0: This time I'm talking about was before Philip started Sun Records and discovered Elvis Presley and the, the rest of that bunch. Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins. He didn't have his own label yet. He was running his studio and he stayed in business doing recordings that he could sell or lease or to these other little labels in L.A. or Chicago or wherever. He was right down there on Union Avenue. Mostly it was blues or country boys hollering about something in a skirt. Blues mainly, though, and Wolf was really his favorite. Phillips would sell the Masters either to these brothers out in LA or the main guys were the Chess Brothers in Chicago. They were real hot for Wolf and wanted him to move to Chicago, and of course, Sam Phillips wanted him to stay in Memphis.
3: Did you know Sam Phillips personally?
0: Sure I mean he was hard to miss Almost like Elmer Gantry You know that movie The Hellfire Preacher Talk about a big personality And he attracted big personalities You couldn't believe the parade of craze Going through that studio Street musicians Guys from medicine shows Sharecroppers Out of work truck drivers Singing hillbilly songs Pimps Preachers Wolf got Bear a janitor job at Phillips studio Talked him up to Sam Telling him he should record Bear
3: Well, it sounds like Bear was sort of Wolf's protege.
0: It was really more than that, more like a a father-son relationship, and it was unusual because they were so different. Their personalities, I mean, it it came out in their music. Wolf was like a volcano, overwhelming all heat and rough edges, which is what Philip liked. Bear was different, smoother, but like, like a spooky river. ...with things hidden
3: underneath. So Phillips made that recording?
0: Listen to what I'm telling you. You've got to understand, Sam Phillips liked things raw. Like like somebody was reaching through the speakers to grab you by the throat. Bear's voice, well, you've heard it. it. It was vulnerable, like somebody alone in a room, like he was crying out for his mother or God, but God wasn't there anymore... Wolf said Bear reminded him of Robert Johnson. That surprised you?
3: It's high praise coming
0: from Howard, Wolf. (laughs) He wanted Sam to make a record on Bear, but Sam just didn't care for Bear's approach. It became a source of discord between Sam and Wolf. I don't think that alone was what caused Wolf to leave Memphis, but it added something on the end of the scale. The Chess brothers kept telling him how good Chicago would be for his career and how much work there was. How he could be a big star (laughs) Wolf put them off for a long time Wolf
3: didn't like Chicago
0: Really just big cities in general He was a country boy at heart A big kid The four of us would go on picnics sometimes Banjo was like the chauffeur And we'd go out to the country and down by the river And eat a big lunch And Wolf would sing and clown And Bear and I would sit there and laugh (laughs) Kind of in a world of our own Wolf would sing gospel songs, which surprised me at first, or pop tunes you'd never expect. Mm. If you ever heard Howlin' Wolf sing in the shade of the old apple tree, you wouldn't (laughs) believe your ears. (laughs) He could sing very pretty, you know, when he wanted to. But then on the last couple lines, he'd turn it into some kind of low-down blues, crack us all up.
3: (laughs) Mm. Did you and Bear uh, have any trouble uh, for being a mixed couple?
0: You mean black and white? Mm. No, we... I pretty much knew where we could go and where we couldn't go. And also, Wolf being around us, nobody would cross Wolf. (laughs) (laughs) But Bear would talk about how he was afraid I was going to leave him anyway. Sometimes, usually at the quietest moments when we were alone together. Bear would say, You went to college. You ought to have a nice home, a nice husband, nice kids. Sooner or later, you're going to leave me. I I couldn't tell at first if he was being serious or he was just trying to get me to say I'd never leave him, which is what I would tell him over and over, and I meant it. I'm not going anywhere but right beside you, I'd say. And he'd get the saddest look in his eyes. You'll see, he said. I'm writing a song for you. I'm going to make a record of it, so you'll have it. He said it was called Gone, but not forgotten. It seemed there was no way I could convince him that I was going to stick around. I was a fool. <laughs> I was a fool in love.
3: What? Why do you? Why do you say you were a fool?
0: Fools only see what they want to see. You know that Doc Poma song, "Blinded by Love." Mm-hmm. Sometimes, if Bear was off with wolf someplace banjo and i would take a ride and i kind of spilled my heart out i'd say how can i prove to him that i really love him he won't believe i'll stay with him banjo would get this worried look on his face i thought he was worried for bear but i think he was really trying to warn me he'd say musicians never stay in one place he's not used to people sticking around Bear always roams and rambles. I'm the only one who ever stuck with him. I even wondered if he was worried that I was going to take his place.
3: But Phillips, he agreed to record Bear?
0: Eventually. This was sometime right around the end of the summer of 54, I guess. But this, this time, Sam had started his own label, Sun Records. <laughs> finally gave in and let Bear make a demo just to make Wolf happy.
3: Were you there when he recorded it?
0: Oh, no. Bear was very hush-hush about it. He never let me come to the studio. Hmm. I never saw him so nervous. Hmm.
1: Transportista is a podcast that tells the story of a pilot who using a clandestine cell phone from inside a prison in North Carolina, claims to have worked as an entrepreneur and air logistics coordinator in the international drug trade for some 30 years. 30, years,
3: 30, years, 30, years, 30 years. I'm transportista. That's what I am.
1: My name is John Gibler. I'm a journalist based in Mexico. I was approached to see if I would be interested in looking to this pilot's story. Yeah, I said, I'm interested. I contacted a number of reporters who had either met, interviewed, or reported on this pilot. He didn't want to tell the truth, he wanted to sell the truth. And began to piece together a portrait of a man behind bars, obsessed with telling and selling his own story. From Detective and Exile Content Studio, this is Transportista. Listen to Transportista on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your
0: podcasts iHeartRadio Radio presents. That's the scene
1: right now from Los Angeles, which hours ago suffered the largest earthquake in North American history.
0: A new dramatic thriller.
1: As far as we can tell, the earthquake somehow raised a new landmass out here.
0: Starring Sarah Wayne Callies.
1: I gotta get out there. That, Man, thats my
0: girl. I need.
2: Sanity. No, but
3: she's
0: out there on that island. Jeffrey Dean Morgan.
3: There are corpses all over the Southland. This isn't a conspiracy. It's a natural disaster.
0: And David Harbour.
3: It's dangerous out there.
0: I don't care. I have to go get
3: her. All right, I get it. You want company?
0: You'll go to the island? Aftershock. What did I tell you? This
3: is a good place. People find each other here. There are two dozen dead bodies rotting in a pile and two survivors. You're sure that there's eight volunteers willing to get shot before
0: the rest of you could stop us? <laughs> Cassie, get the gun. Aftershock. Listen and follow on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At that time, you'd record, and they had a machine that would make a single copy so you could listen to it before they issued it. I practically got down on my knees asking Barry to play it for me, but he wouldn't. Wolf said he was going to move to Chicago. Phillips didn't put it out. (laughs) Phillips kept delaying, and finally Wolf said he was leaving and he wanted Bear and Banjo to come with him. I told Bear not to worry that I'd come with him, and he smiled, Uh. such a sad smile, and he said, I'm going to wake up one morning and you won't be there. I, I didn't understand what he was really saying until two days later. What happened two days later? I got woke up by this loud knocking on my door, and I... And up late the night before and it took me a minute to even get out of bed, put my robe on and the knocking was real insistent and I hollered out something like you'll wake up the whole neighborhood and when I finally got to the door and opened it, Banjo was standing there looking at me like he had heard some awful news, a scared look and he handed me that envelope you opened up earlier and pushed it at me, actually he said Bear wanted me to give this to you and I said what is it? Come in for a minute. What time is it? And he said, no, I got to go. Careful, that thing's breakable. Bye, Louise. And then he gave me a kiss on the cheek and ran down the stairs like the place was on fire. And I, I didn't know what was happening. It it all happened so fast. What did you do then? I hollered down after him. I- but he was gone. I-, I opened the envelope. Maybe I thought there would be an answer in there, but it was just the record. Just, just like you saw it. No note, no nothing For days I asked all over At the clubs, different places I called the number at the rooming house Where they'd been, staying. no answer I I was word sick Like, I was out of my mind Was Bear in jail, was he dead And then I stopped in at Sun And Marion, Sam Phillips' secretary Calmed me down a little bit, gave me a shot of brandy Finally Sam came out of his office And Marion told him I was looking for Bear That's when he told me That Woof had gone off up to Chicago and taking the other two with him. He was ranting. That ingrate. I'm never doing anybody a favor again. Never. I asked Sam if he knew how to get in touch with them and he said, in touch. In touch. If I could get close enough to touch him, I'd kill him. That man had a God-given talent and he could have stayed here and had whatever he wanted. And I said, I said, you mean Bear? And he looked at me like I just said snakes were spiders. And he said, what? I mean, wolf. Bear might have a future as a janitor. I was furious. I said, wolf thought he was great. Wolf loved him. I was on the verge of tears, truth to tell. Sam started in ranching again, and I just turned and walked out onto Union Avenue. And that was the last I ever saw of him. And I never saw wolf or bear or banjo again. went back home i I didn't know where to put myself so i i pulled out that record and played it for the first time (laughs) and i had to laugh keep from crying (laughs) where he sings she left me early one morning just got up and walked away i listened to that and i thought of course he was singing about himself (laughs) gone but not forgotten He was the one who was going to be gone, like every other musician. But the whole time he was telling me I was the one who was going to leave him. And that's how he wrote the song, putting it on me. What is it with men? They can't be satisfied. They break your heart. But they want you to love them forever anyway. Go away and leave a bunch of shrapnel in your heart. (sighs) What happened to them? No idea. No idea. They could be anywhere. (laughs) They'd be pretty old by now. (gasps) Almost as old as me. If they're even still alive.
3: Did you ever hear from them again? Or hear of them?
0: Only one time. After they'd been gone a few months, I got a card from Banjo. He said they were in Florida. It was postmarked San Antonio. I was so hurt and mad, I tore it up and I threw it away. Dumb. I wish I had that card. But I wanted to make a fresh start. I, I, I didn't know there was no such thing as a fresh start.
4: I
3: I have to ask you this. You haven't said what you want me to do with this record.
0: I don't want to hang on to it.
3: Well, did you have a a figure in mind, a a price you wanted for it?
0: No, I don't want money. I just want to know it'll be safe somewhere and not out in the curb with the rest of my junk when I'm gone. I'm glad somebody knows about him and he won't be forgotten.
3: Mrs. Gates.
0: Take it. You got everything you needed on your machine. Go on. I made it through the afternoon without crying. Let's call it even, all right?
3: I shut off my recorder and thanked her as she almost pushed me to the door. Outside on the street, I stood in the hot sun, almost unable to believe all that I had just heard. Had it really happened, I was holding the envelope with the record. I drove back to Oxford, then about a month later I called her again. I had a few more questions, loose ends in the story I wanted to tie up. Her number had been disconnected. I drove to Hernando the next day to her house, but it was as empty as if nobody had ever lived there. I had no way of tracing her. She had disappeared into thin air. I even wondered if I had imagined the whole thing, but I had the recording of the interview. And I have the record sitting right on my desk. To this day, I often wonder where she went. And I had to admire her. She was gone.
4: But she made sure she wouldn't be forgotten. Tonight's episode was written by Tom Piazza. Baron of Banjo was created, executive produced, and directed by Jingle Jerry. Executive produced by Dennis Quaid, T-Bone Burnett, and Jason pooh Boyd. With original music by Jason pooh Boyd and Jingle Jared, it's Baron of Banjo and T-Bone Burnett with lyrical contributions from Bob Dylan. All music from Baron Banjo is produced by T-Bone Burnett. And all episodes edited by David Gould. Additional score by Jeff Peters and Jeff Judy. Story editing by Connor Ratliff and associate produced by Emily Bolcom. Produced by Tom Piazza, Noel Brown, Brian Wallen, Jesse Corwin, and Dan DeMoe. Co-produced by Rosanna Arquette. For episode music, please visit the iHeartRadio app or wherever one finds good music. Baron of Banjo is a production of Jingle Punks in partnership with iHeartRadio. Special thanks to John Ingrazia of Vector Management and Gary Morella of Mono Music. Krista Lenny from Maiden Creative, Gail Troberman, Connell Byrne, and the entire iHeart team. An extra special thanks to Sue Turner for being Baron Banjo's head of tour security. For a full list of production credits, behind-the-scenes footage, and source material, please visit BaronBanjo.com. Jingle Punks is an anthem.
1: drugs. Almost everyone uses them, and everyone has an opinion about them. I'm Ethan Adelman, host of the new podcast, Psychoactive. I'll be talking with scientists and politicians, celebrities and activists about all things drugs. You know, I think ecstasy saved my marriage. Why do we have receptors in our brain that fit molecules made by poppy plants? Psychoactive is out now. Listen to Psychoactive on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dr. Payman Daniel Ford. And I'm Dr. John Lakey. We invite you to listen to our new podcast, Forever Young. Together, we're partners in practice for over a decade at the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Group, the renowned plastic surgery center in the heart of Beverly Hills, California. Join us as we put you under the knife and offer a glimpse behind the surgical mask into the fascinating world of cosmetic surgery, the latest breakthroughs in skincare, and what you can do to look and feel forever young. Listen to Forever Young on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.